Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot. Oh, my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and Michelle, my co-host, Michelle Clare, the great psychic medium, was supposed to be joining us, but guess what? You know, she was traveling around, doing workshops, she was in Sedona, and she got COVID. And she was planning on being on the show because she actually felt pretty good, but then she didn't. She started to feel a lot worse. So anyways, I know we all hope that she gets better soon. It's a miserable thing to be dealing with, um, but at least we know it doesn't have to be deadly, which is good. It can be like a bad cold or a flu. So anyways, Michelle, we all hope you feel better soon. And we've got lots of crazy stuff going on. That collider is in use, again, in Switzerland. And also, the Guidestones in Georgia got blown up at around 4 4 o'clock or 4.30 in the morning. So, uh, who knows what this is all about. It's very, very unusual. And as we're watching our country do a nosedive, it's very frustrating for those of us who don't want to lose any more rights and feel that we live in a free country. But tonight, we are going to take a trip into a world. And it happens to be the world we live in, by the way, where aliens live here, too. And our guest tonight is a terrific person, Jerry Wills. His wife is also very terrific, by the way. And I heard Jerry do a presentation about his friend, the alien. I said, we've got to get Jerry on the show to talk about this because, yes, we've heard this before. Aliens are here, but Jerry has a personal experience of this. And Jerry is a straight-up guy. He's an internationally renowned healer. And you can find him at jerrywills.com, by the way. He's got a book out. You can read his book. But this is an incredible story, and I wonder, as I'm sure you do too, how many other people have had experiences like this but haven't shared them yet. So, Jerry, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me on, Patricia. 
Well, it's great to be with you again, and you always have something exciting going on. (laughs) I was so impressed when I heard your presentation about this, and I thought, we got to talk about this. I know my audience is dying to hear this. This is a really incredible story. So do tell, how did all this get started for you? Well, you know, the way it started was, excuse me, I'm having a cup of chaos. (laughs) Um, That's a cup of coffee, folks, for you who are wondering what I'm talking about. Um, it, it It all started as a result of me going back and forth to Peru. I was taking people on guided tours there. Those tours were based on The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. I had his endorsement to do it. I got that before James was really ever an internationally known figure and really well respected for his book. He was still selling them out of the back of his car. Anyway, I was taking people on trips to Peru. And, um, you know, in Peru you have a lot of people talking about UFOs and sightings and aliens and all that stuff. And a lot of it happens down there, not just Peru, but Brazil and Chile and, you know, all all over the place, in the Amazon. So I was always, you know, watching and wondering. I had had contact with a different group of extraterrestrials when I was growing up in Kentucky. This was face-to-face contact. It Mm -hmm. lasted about five years. And I hadn't seen those folks in quite some time. And I thought, you know, if there's if there's anybody down here that would like to talk, I'm open to it. It had been quite a while since I'd had any contact with those other individuals. Mm-hmm. So I went to Machu Picchu. Uh, this was, you know, gosh, I would say back in the early 90s. And that's when it wasn't like um, Disneyland for the elite. Nowadays, you go to Machu Picchu and you get a ticket, you go through, you're escorted, and you leave. And glad you came, get out of here. But back (laughs) in those days, you got got a ticket, you went in, and that was it. Go have fun. The park closes at a given time. And if you're not out, we're going to lock the gate and lock you in. Hmm. And that's as, that's as stringent as it was. Right. So um, I went in. I went to the Intihuatana, which is one of the features at Machu Picchu. It's called the Hitching Post of the Sun. And I sat there for a few minutes, meditated. Now, in the past, when I would try to contact these folks, I'd been in contact with when I was much, much younger. It was um, not always, but occasionally uh, that contact was struck up to occur because of using telepathy. I would send send a message out, you know, telepathically. So this particular time, I'm thinking, yeah, I want to talk to somebody. So I sat there. It's supposed to be the most powerful place in Machu Picchu. 
So I sat there and centered myself. It was very beautiful. Um, and I just sent out a message. Anybody out there? I want to talk. And I waited. Nothing came back. So a little bit more. Time goes by, and I send out the same message. Is there anybody there? I want to talk. This time, in my head, I heard a message come back, who are you? Oh. Which was a bit surprising. <laughs> yeah. Was, you know. <clears throat> you so, knew it was coming from outside of you. It wasn't coming from a voice inside. That was your voice. It was coming outside from outside. Right oh, into yeah. your head. Uh, no doubt. Wow. Right into my head. No doubt about it. And I've had this kind of contact before, so I understood how it feels, although I didn't know the voice. And the intonation was kind of like, what the hell are you doing? So I sent a message back, and I said, I'm Jerry Wills. <clears throat> there was silence. I said, I was in contact with Zoe. And I named off a couple others. Uh, in Kentucky, during these years, they said they're from Tau City. And if I wanted to make contact, this is how I would do it. I said, who are you? Yeah. Another long pause. And they said... <laughs> They said, basically, we'll get back to you. Jeez. You know, I, I forget the exact phrasism, but that's what it amounted to. You know, we'll we'll look into this or something like that, but it basically, we'll get back to you. Yeah, they didn't thought, give you well, anything. Yeah, I was like, what the hell? So <laughs> I got up, had a cigarette, walked away pondering this odd characterization. I mean, that's not what I expected. I thought, oh, hi, how are you doing? You know, something like that. Yeah, because so, you already um, did have a relationship with these other folks from other worlds in the past. So what was the hesitation yeah. on their part this time? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know these people, but I didn't know the other people either. They sought me out. I didn't seek them out. Mm. So, it's like, okay. So I went about my business, went through the rest of the trip, went on back home. It just so happened I had another scheduled trip a month later with another group of people. And I, I'm finding myself back in Peru again. And, of course, I reached out telepathically trying to, you know, touch into somebody no answer, nothing. So I get uh, I get back into Peru, and then the route that that you take to get to Machu Picchu, regardless of where you come from, you end up in Lima. Then you take a flight from Lima to Cusco, and then you have two options. In Cusco, you can take the train and go all the way to this little village called Agua Caliente. 
which means hot water. There's hot springs there. Mm-hmm. Or nice. you go you go down into the Urubamba Valley. Um, the valley's about I think it's 17 miles long. I don't really remember how long the valley is. Um, but you go down through this valley. <clears throat> At one end of the valley is a village called Pisac. A lot of ruins, very interesting place. And at the opposite end of the valley is a place called uh, Urubamba. And I'm sorry, Oyanta, not Urubamba, that's the valley. It's Oyanta. So in this particular you know, time, uh, we took the train directly from Cusco <coughs> all the way to Aguacaliente. Got off the train. It's just a sleepy little village, or it was. It isn't now. It's a tourist trap. Mm. But it's just a sleepy little village, and you make your way to this this very rustic hotel that would cost you $16 for a night. Wowee. That's a bargain. Yeah. Well, they thought they were making money hand over fist. (laughs) <laughs> at $16 because you can go get yourself you know a pizza for $2 and it's a big one at oh, no, Shea McGee yeah oh, boy. Shea, Shea, Shea McGee's got a, a parrot it's it's a very interesting place for pizza pizza and beer huh. well anyhow the next morning you get up get on the bus, and you're going up to Machu Picchu. So, just like, you know, always, got myself together, got the group together, we go out, I've got the tickets for the bus, I'm handing everybody their ticket, and we get on the bus. Well, the bus is like a rickety old school bus. Ooh, back that, during uh, this that time. dangerous. Ooh. And it looks like something out of the, the 40s, maybe. I mean, the windows aren't square like a school bus you think of. These are sort of rounded, top and bottom. Uh And the seats are basically a piece of Naga hide over a two-before. Oh, comfortable. uh, (laughs) Yeah, metal frame. And the route up to Machu Picchu is basically switchbacks. So <clears throat> you go out of uh, Aguacaliente, you go over the Urubamba River, and then a little bit past that, you turn left and you start the switchbacks going up the mountain. And the whole thing takes about 45 minutes from start to finish. So, because this thing is crawling, it's just crawling up the mountain. And the road yeah. is narrow. You can probably and walk that. There are no yeah, well, some people have tried, <laughs> and it does work out that way, oh. uh, but it's all straight uphill. Yikes. So, um, personally, I didn't like being in that claustrophobic, the windows don't open. <clears throat> Not a lot of room, people are jammed in there. So, I would tell the driver, I'm going to ride on top. I'd go to the back on top. And I'd sit up there with the um, 
you know, the bread and supplies for the hotel Machu Picchu, which is at the top at Machu Picchu. <clears throat> so I'd, I'd ride up on top, and I figured if this thing gets a flat tire and, and suddenly wants to go off the road, I have a better chance of jumping off of the top of this bus and grabbing a tree someplace than I have of being inside there just rolling down this <laughs> yeah. damn mountain. Good thinking. Good thinking, yes. <laughs> and the view up there was spectacular. Oh, yeah. So you're been. just... You're just crawling along, you know, going through this jungle and going up and over and up and over and back and forth. Well, on this particular day, I'm on top, and we're just sort of chugging along, going across the river there on the at the Urubamba River and across the bridge, and there's this fellow up ahead, and he flags down the bus, which isn't that unusual. So he talks to the driver, and he walks to the back, and he climbs up on top with me, Huh? which I thought, that's pretty cool. He probably has the same inclination as I do. So he climbs up. He looks, you know, he's not skinny, but he's, he's not plumped out either. He's about 6'2", 6'3". Um, looks like a hiker, you know, that you might encounter in Peru. Comes up, climbs over past me, sits down near me. The bus starts up, and of course, it's chugging along. It takes that left, and it's going up the mountain. So, as you might expect, you run into people all the time on a trip like this. And one of the first things, aside from saying, you know, hi, I'm Jerry, or whatever, you know, the second thing that comes out of somebody's mouth is, where are you from? Yeah, right. So he introduced himself. He says, hi, I'm Rich. I said, hi, I'm Jerry. Nice day, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great day. And so we're chugging along. I said, so where are you from? And he's looking out across the vista, off to my right, and he says, I'm from the Pleiades. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how and did you process so that of, one? I laughed at him. I yeah. thought that was goofy. And how did he um, look? I mean, here he was sitting next to you on top of this bus. I mean, did he look human? Did he look like he was from another world? How did he look? He just looked like another person. You know, you're traveling down through there. You see all body types, all ethnicities, all languages and dialects and people with broken English and people that speak the king's English. I mean, there's just all kinds of people. It's really, really, the, it's the crossroads of the world. You never know yeah. who you're going to run into in a place like this. Right. Uh, Cusco more so, because it's a city and it's just full of all kinds of people. But in Agua Caliente, yeah, you know, the those that are hardy enough and 
not necessarily brave enough anymore, but uh, they just have that inclination to go someplace that distant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an interesting thing when you meet people like that because they're they're like you somehow. That's that's right. kind of the underlying right. theme. How they're like you, you really don't know, but they are an adventurous spirit, and so you know, it's like we're pals in a way. Whether it's men or women, I've, I've run into plenty of women that were doing things that I really wasn't in, interested to do. <laughs> you oh, know, they okay. were just doing all this. <laughs> I can tell you some of that too if you want to know. Uh, no, nothing. That's, I don't know, you know if I do. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, they're, nothing for adult audiences, but I mean, it's just that they they were very unique individuals. Yeah. Uh, I do have no, I the adult versions exciting, too, but I won't but, go into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, but again, here you had reached out telepathically a while back on your last trip. Nothing came of it. They kind of blew you off. Said we'll get back to you. Now this guy uh-huh. comes mysteriously, shows up, wants to get on the bus, gets on top of the bus with you, not in the bus, on top with you, and tells you he's from the Pleiades. So was there anywhere that you thought maybe he was? No, not at all. In that moment or not? Uh, no, I laughed at him. <laughs> I said, sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> And he kind of looked at me kind of hurt, and he says, no, really, I am. And I said, look, I live in Phoenix, (laughs) and Barbara Marciniak came out with a book called Bringers of the Dawn. And now everybody in the New Age circles in Phoenix, they either are from the Pleiades, they might be walk-ins, we don't know. Or they're channeling somebody from the Pleiades. But everybody that I talk to has some affiliation and says that they are from the Pleiades. So <clears throat> that you're from the Pleiades? Sure you are. <laughs> yeah. And, Join the club. Yeah. So he just kind of chuckled and he said, yeah, yeah we're familiar with with Barbara Marciniak and her book. He said, I really don't know that she represents us exactly. Hmm. Um, He said, but no, I I am. I'm from the Pleiades. And so I kind of stopped laughing. And I said, so what are you doing here? Yeah, that would be the question I'd ask. Same thing. Says well, you said you wanted to have contact. Ah, oh, whoa! Here you go. At that moment, it was kind of like dun dun dun. <laughs> right. And I, I was speechless. He says, "Didn't you reach out to us and say you wanted to have a conversation?" I said, "Well, yeah." Just so, let's talk. <laughs> oh my gosh! It was, it, you know, it was kind of like one of those um, moments where you get a, a slight bit of vertigo because you're on top of the bus and it's turning, and you have a slight bit of reality check needed because this was totally unsur- uh, you know, unannounced and very surprising. 
Yeah, it's like you so, stepped into the twilight zone. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I, I wasn't, you know, I'd almost forgotten I'd even done that. Since nothing happened, oh, we'll get back to right. you. Yeah, okay, sure. See you later. Yeah. But here's this guy sitting Nobby here people. saying that he's from the Pleiades. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he says he's from the Pleiades, and I wanted to talk, so here I am. Let's talk. Oh, I just didn't even know what to talk about. Yeah. I, well, I, you must have been I was, still astonished. Yeah, I was. And then, I guess because I was just like kind of floored by this, Mm-hmm. He just sort of smiles and says, it's all right. We have plenty of time to talk. You're going to be here for a couple of days. And I said, well, yeah. I said, I, I just wanted to reach out because I'd had contact with, you know, others. He says, yeah, well, I know. You, you'd, spoken, uh, you'd spoken about that, and we looked into it. You were contacting Zoe and the group that Zoe was with from, from uh, Tal City. And I said, yeah, and once again, I was just like, it took my breath away. Yeah, because <clears throat> so, they knew your history with them. Exactly. So, um, we sat there and chatted a little bit. So, how long have you, how long have you been here? <laughs> you yeah. know, what do you ask? Right. He says, well, I just I just got back to Peru, he says, um, just a few days ago. It was time for me to come back here anyway. So, well, what were you doing? He says, oh, I was in uh, I was in California. Um, what is the name of that? I can't think of the name of the beach. A crazy place. Um. Anyway, he was at this this place. In California, Venice Beach. That's what I'm trying to think oh, of. Okay. He said he was in Venice Beach, um, studying the culture there. And I said, "Really?" He says, "Yeah, dude. Absolutely. It was gnarly, man." <laughs> and it's like, was it gnarly? And he said. Well, you have to talk like them if you're going to be there. He says, I'm a sociologist, anthropologist. And so I was studying the culture, uh, me and a couple of others. And, you know, to do that, you immerse yourself in the culture. You eat what they eat. You do what they do. And you learn from that experience. And that's what I was doing. I was learning from the experience. And I had a pretty good time. He says, but... I got to tell you, the food, it really does take its toll on you. I what said, was this all fried stuff? Yeah. Yeah, he says, well, you know, you know, the burger joints, pizza joints, oh, yeah. street vendors. I said, yeah, well, there's probably a couple of good restaurants around you could have gone to. Yeah. <laughs> he said, well, yeah. Did go to a couple of those. My favorite places were the salads, where they served good salads. <clears throat> now let me uh, ask so, you just this you, one question: when, when you saw him, because you're very, very tall, and was he as tall as you, or did he look anything like your physique? 
Yeah, pretty much. He did. Okay. Yeah, he, you know, I, I'm six nine. He, I say he's probably six six, six seven. He was pretty tall. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm not very good at gauging how short other people are compared to me. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> every, everybody else is short, you know. Right. We're all shrimps uh, compared to you. But yeah, I wondered if he I, if he was I, similar to you in height because the Pleiadians they say are tall. They run tall. So there you go. Well, he and I saw eye to eye when we stood up. Okay. You know, he had on boots. Um, so did I. Um, you know, he had on, of course, kind of baggy um, trousers. You know, like uh, safari equipment trousers and mm-hmm. shirt and belt and backpack and water bottles hanging off and stuff like that. Um, so yeah. Uh, he he was pretty tall. I noticed as we were talking that I had a, a like there was this vibe that I got from him that really put me at ease. Hmm. It was almost it was almost transcendental in nature mm-hmm. to where it was unnatural. At ease. Not, not not your typical. I'm just feeling casual feeling, but it was like right. relaxing, relaxing vibes being beamed into me. Mm. And I asked him, "Well, uh, why are you coming here?" And he told me that this was so much like his home. He says it's a lot like where I'm from, and. Hmm. Uh, I just love being here because it reminds me of being at home. He says, you see these mountains? Look how, how angular these mountains are. and this, this air is so fresh and pure and all this greenery and the flowers. And it is a beautiful place, that part of the Andes. He says, this is uh, a lot like home. He says, that, that glacier over there? He says, we have that too. He says, so... Is this where you come to to regroup and get yourself, you know, just uh, kind of back in the groove before you go back out again? He says, well, no, we live here uh, for a while. He really didn't specify any time. Mm-hmm. And when my when I'm done here, then... I'll probably go back home and be there, and then the next thing comes up, and I might be coming back here or might be going somewhere else. I don't know. So that's how it is when you study other cultures. Because I, I specialize in human cultures, which now in retrospect wow. tells me there are other humans out there in the universe. Yeah, and so I was thinking the exact same thought when you just said that, yes. But hmm. at the time, it didn't really occur to me. I was just so in La La Land <laughs> having having this conversation with him. It, it was like I'd taken a couple shots of Jack Daniels or something. I was just sort of mellowed out and like, okay, this is fine. Yeah, sure. 
<laughs> so well, it's so out of the blue. I mean, this happened out of the blue because the last time you tried to contact these snobby people, you know, that was a month prior, and they didn't exactly yeah. welcome you with open arms. They treated you like you had just walked into the office of the CEO, and they'd let you know. So, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. what a surprise. Yeah. And here this guy just waves down the bus and joins you, and here he is. Here, I'm from the Pleiades. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, I can tell you it was absolutely startling. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's still that little, you know, little bit of doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. But I'm having, I'm enjoying the hell out of the conversation. It's a good conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it, the bus finally arrived up there to the top, the embarkation point. And as usual, you get off the bus, you've got all these people, probably 75 people, which I had a group of about 18, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you basically you have your tickets and you go up through this really crude uh, wooden fence-like thing that's about 12 foot tall. And it, it just opens. There's a door there that just opens. You go through, guy standing there, he handed the ticket, and that's it. You on in. And you can come hmm. in and out as much as you want because you've got a little stamp on your hand, on, on right okay. inside of your, your left wrist. So you can go in and out as much as you want to. The buses are done for the day. Um, so... The people that are there are the people that are going to be there. And when it comes time, the bustles will start up about 2.30. And we're there now. It's about 10.30 in the morning. And between 2.30 and 4.30, there are buses. After 4.30, there's no more buses, and it closes at 5. So you're just stuck up there if you don't catch that 4.30 bus. That's yeah. how it was. I don't know how it is right now. Hmm. So... We get off the bus. I climb down. He climbs down behind me. And he just walks <clears throat> with great purpose, just strode right up the stairs, right in through the gate, just goes on through like nobody's business. Before he left, he turned and he said, I'll see you on the inside, Jerry. And, of course, the people with me are like, oh, who's that? Yeah. As I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> Rich... <laughs> His eyes were so clear. They were blue. Have you ever seen um, gym quality topaz? Yes. It's, it's, it's just gorgeous, this blue color. Yeah. That was the color of his eyes. Oh, my. Well, that's a difference. His ear... And I also noticed that his earlobes were weird. They they were longer than anybody I'd ever seen. Not hmm. like grotesquely longer, but there was just a noticeable length to them that I had not really seen on anybody else before. I noticed little things like that about people. Yeah. Um, he was not clean-shaven. His hair was a mess. He didn't wear a cap. 
uh, but he was clean. So, yeah, I'll see you inside, Rich. And I get all the people together. We go up, we go through, tickets handed off, stamps put on the inside of the left wrist, and we're walking on into Machu Picchu. I've done this many times. For the people who are with me, they are blown away. Because, mm. let's face it, walking into Machu Picchu, it really blows your mind. Yeah. <clears throat> so, we make our way first here and then there. and We're just casually walking through. We've got the whole day. There are guides uh, that I have hired to be with the people. And uh, if a person wants to see this or that, you know, tell the guide, they'll take you to see it. Otherwise, they'll just take you through as a group and show you everything the first hour. And after that, they cut you loose, you're on your own. So I've done this so many times, and there's no reason for me to do it. I'll catch up with everyone later. I decided I'd just walk over to one of my favorite places. It's called uh, the Temple of Pachamama. As you're facing Machu Picchu, it's down towards the end, off to the right. And I like to go there, and it's just quiet and beautiful, and the energy is amazing. Uh, there's a great big stone sitting up on edge, mm -hmm. and it is shaped exactly the same as the mountain. If you stood in front of the stone gazing at it, the mountain right behind it is shaped exactly the same way. So it was made to look like that mountain. Right. So I'm heading over that way. There's this fellow who um, was on the trip. He came with his sister. His name was Bob. He was from New York. And Bob is an emergency room psychiatrist, psychiatrist, hmm. psychologist, it, trauma, trauma psychiatrist or something like that. But he was like the emergency room trauma guy. Right. And uh, <clears throat> he was tall. He's probably 6'4", 6'5", African-American. And... Um, he's my buddy, and he's sticking with me. <laughs> so that, that was that was his decision. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Come on, I'll show you the Temple of Pachamama. Great, I'd love to see that. And he's a tall, skinny guy. So we mm -hmm. go, you know, casually walking off in that direction. Now, Bob has a backpack, not very large, and around his neck are some binoculars. And these are cartoonish. You know, in the cartoons, they bring the binoculars up, and you see the eyes in the end of, in the, end of the binoculars, and they are just <laughs> Bulging huge. Bulging out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just huge binoculars. That's yes. what Bob had. Okay. He wanted to do some bird watching. He wanted to look around and so on and so forth. So he's carrying these huge damn binoculars. We're going out across this little pavilion. There's a tree there. And round the corner, 
And just before we get to the temple of Pachamama, there's Rich. Oh. He's walking up to us. And he says, hey, Jerry, you going up to uh, Huayna Picchu? And I said, no, not right now. So I've got the group here. I'm just going over to the temple of Pachamama. He says, I'm going that way too. Mind if I join you? And I said, sure, come along. And he's all grinning and happy. <laughs> and Bob is quiet. And uh, Bob sees something. And he says, you go ahead on. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look at this over here. So I walked over with Rich, and Rich said, yeah, I'm going to go up to the top of Huayna Picchu. Well, Huayna Picchu, when you look at a picture of Machu Picchu, in the distance, at the, at the end of Machu Picchu, you see that there's this mountain point you know, sticking up, and then in front of it is Machu Picchu. And that's Huayna Picchu. And there's a path that goes up there. To get up there, you go past a little guard station. No one's there, but you sign your name in. Because mm -hmm. if some reason you don't come back down, they're going to send people looking for you. That's, that's oh, the that's idea. That's a good thing. Right. Because going up point of Pichu is a bit treacherous. It's also a lot of switchbacks. There are really, there, there's nothing in the way of guardrails. You just keep going up and climbing higher and higher. At one point, there's a rope. I don't know what it's like now, but there's a rope, thick as your wrist, and you have to hold on to that rope and pull yourself climbing up, climbing up to get up this really steep part. Then you continue up. Then there's a long staircase that a lot of people have seen pictures of that's like, oh, that's, that looks totally dangerous. Yeah. This is then beginning to sound up. like something out of Ninja Warrior, if you've ever seen that show. I mean, it's just one obstacle after another. Oh, my goodness. But you were, you were doing it okay, and Rich was too. Well, no, I've done it many times. I've done it many times. Right. So you were okay um, with all of this. How about Rich? How was oh. in, for him? It was nothing, probably. Well, see, that's what is weird about it, because went to the Temple of Pachamama. That's where the path begins to go up to Huayna Picchu. Mm -hmm. And he's going to go up to, you know, Huayna Picchu. And at the very top, there's a peaky point, and you sit on that peaky point, and you see everything. It's, I mean, it's mm. really like the end of a pencil. It's the peaky point. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I've taken Kathy up there before. Really? Kathy's brave. Yeah, she wouldn't stand on the peaky point and reach for the sun, though. I did that. Oh. <laughs> Can't imagine why she wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she thought I was going to fall. Of course, the lightning oh. overhead kind of made my hair stick out in all directions oh. to get out of there. Yeah. Well, anyhow, <clears throat> I get to Huayna Picchu, and um, I'm sorry, not I get to the path that goes up to Huayna Picchu with Rich, and I'm standing there at the Temple of Pachamama, and he says, okay, I'll see you later. And I said, hey, we're going to be here tonight. 
So if you're around, uh, we're going to be over here at the Intiwatana. So, you know, what time? I said, I don't know, probably 10, 1030-ish. He says, okay, well, if I can make it, I will. So he takes off, and Bob shows up. He says, uh, your friend's going up there? I said, yeah, this is going to take him 45 minutes. I mean, in, if you're in really good shape, you'll make it in 45 minutes easily. Mm-hmm. If you're not in great shape, it's going to be an hour and a half. Oh, because it's difficult. <laughs> it's really yeah. steep, and there's Sounds so many stairs. So I'm standing there talking to Bob. He's, he says, did you see anything? He says, oh, I saw a few birds. I was looking at the mountains. He pulls up his, his binoculars, and he looks up towards Winnipechu. So I told him the little peaky point, and you can sit up there, and he wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And he's... He, I mean, it's like 10 minutes max. And he's looking up there. And he says, well, your friend's up there already. Oh, I my said, no, God. that's impossible. I said, that, that can't, no, it's got to be somebody else. He says, no, I think you should take a look. And he pulls off these big binoculars, hands them to me. I adjust them so I can look through them. I mean, the, they must have weighed 30 pounds. Oh, my God. It's like a telescope. Hoist them up. <laughs> really? Yeah, like two of them, you know, yeah. joined together. I hoist them up. I look up there, and there is Rich. And he's looking right at me, and he's grinning, and he's waving. Oh, how did he get up there and so I pulled fast? Up. Hell if I know. So I pulled the binoculars down, and I said, that's Rich. He said, he got up there pretty quick. I said, that's impossible. He said, well, how did he get up there? I said, I don't know. I pulled him up again and took a look. Rich is looking off in the distance. Then he sort of glances back over his left shoulder and looks back down at me in a little wave again. Then I pulled the binoculars and give them back to Bob. I said, I don't know what to make of that. <clears throat> so, we meet up with the rest of the group at the Intiwatana. And I surprise them and tell them tonight we're going to come up here and do a meditation at night. And, you know, It'll just be us. Nobody but us. You guys can have the whole compound to yourself. And Bob says, can I spend the night up here? And I said, well, they don't allow that. He says, I really hope I can spend the night up here. I said, look, I'll tell you how you do it. There's this cave I know of right over the edge, right over here. If you go into that cave, it's where the llamas sleep. And you go in Mm. there. It's very comfortable, and you can spend the night in there, and in the morning, don't come out until you hear people walking around and, and tourists talking. He said, I'll come and get you in the morning. I'll be here first thing in the morning when it opens up at 6 o'clock. And he's like, okay, great. I'm going to spend the night at Machu Picchu. Wow. So, you know, 
I'm kind of running this around in my mind about how Rich got up there so fast, but nothing made any sense. So, um, I basically let it go. We leave Machu Picchu. We go back down to Agua Caliente. We have a nice dinner. Their pepper steak was delicious. Mm, and, you know, we go to our rooms, and we're going to meet up again at 9 o'clock. We're going to go back down to the bus because I've already paid the bus driver 100 bucks to take us up there. And he's going to stay as, as, you know, at least until midnight. Midnight, he gets a little edgy if it's after midnight. Mm-hmm. So we, um, we meet again. We get on the bus. This time I'm riding on the inside. It's just, you know, 15, 18 people that are on the trip. And we go up. Bob is all ready. He has his sleeping bag and some food and snacks, and he's he's going to spend the night, by golly. <laughs> and his sister, who he's traveling with, he, she knows this. So I'd say Bob's in his 40s, uh, mid-40s. Okay. Mm-hmm. And his sister, is, I think she was 50, right in there. Mm-hmm. Um, she was she was a doctor, a regular MD. Well, anyway, we get up there. They let us into Machu Picchu. They close the gate behind us. We continue. We walk through Machu Picchu, and in the dark, it's just amazing. Made our way to the Intihuatana, and people are now taking their time. They're going to sit on the Intihuatana put their hand on either side of the stone. They're going to do their prayer and meditation. And I timed it out. Everybody's going to get about 15 minutes. Because then there's something else to do. So they're doing that. And so after about five people, they didn't need me anymore. They were kind of maintaining their own schedule. They had it worked out between themselves. But the person know it's time yeah, they're really good people. So I walk away. I'm going to go have a cigarette. So <laughs> I walked away from the Intihuatana, and in the direction that I was walking, if a person wanted to look this up, you're at the Intihuatana, and you can tell if you're sitting there, you're facing towards the west. So this is towards the south, <clears throat> and you walk through this this stone door framework thing, like a wall. And then from there, you walk a little bit farther, and it's like a peninsula that sticks out, and it has a drop-off all the way around it, except for the stairs you came up on. If you walk too far, you're in a fall about 30, 40 feet into a bunch Yikes. of cactus and rocks. Ouch. It's just no, Not a good no idea. No way you're going to... Nah, you, you wouldn't want to do that. No. So... I'm standing out there looking at the night sky. There's the Southern Cross. It's just gorgeous. Having a cigarette. Finish the cigarette. All right. I need to go back, see how the folks are doing. So we've got something else to do tonight. 
I was standing at the very tip of this peninsula, by the way, and I, I turn around, and I take about four steps, which is about half the distance of this peninsula, and there is the sound of cellophane, like on a cigarette pack, just crumpled up to the cellophane part. Hmm. Not really loud, but present. There's nothing in nature that sounds like that. Yeah. I heard it, and I thought, what What the hell is that? I turned around to investigate it. There's Rich. He's standing where I was <laughs> just standing a, just a few minutes, just you know, a minute or so ago. So I was surprised, kind of startled. I said, Rich? He says, hey, Jer. So, um... How did you get there? <laughs> yeah. He says, are you having fun tonight? I said, yeah, the, the folks are having a really great time. I'm still wondering how the hell he did that. So I said, did you did you climb up here from down there? And I walked over and looked over the edge. It's like, I don't know how anybody could survive that because it's a bunch of cactus and thorns and it's dark. Yeah. And he says, Oh, uh, I use this. And he showed me on his belt. He had this thing look like a, a small silver, about the same size and shape as a small Zippo lighter. It was attached to his belt. And what I think would be like the center of it, because there's no, you know, there's no lines or anything. It's just a solid piece of metal. But in mm-hmm. the center of it, about, um, I don't know, maybe dime-sized, probably a little smaller than a dime. It was just a blue glow, just luminous. It wasn't shining out. It was just luminous blue. He says, I, this, I use this. He said, what is that? He said, well, this is how, this is how we travel around. I said, oh, Really? He says, yeah, it, you know, we can use this and we can go different places. Is that how you get to the Pleiades? And he laughs and says, oh, no, no, we couldn't do it that way. We we have, we we have, he says, well, you call them flying saucers. We, we use those for travel. And so we started talking again. And I said, so what is it that, I, I just have a feeling there's there's something that I'm missing here that we need to talk about. He says, well, actually, I did have something I wanted to ask you about. He says, you bring some very interesting people down here, obviously. He says, all these are really nice, nice people. They're all very interesting. He says, so um, I was thinking, would it be all right with you if... Um, me and, and some of my team were to just mingle with the folks you're traveling with and just talk to them. I said, what would you talk about? He says, nothing important, really. Just find out who they are and what they think, what they believe. You know, just to kind of get an idea, you know, person to person, what they're like what they think. I said, well, sure, I guess. I don't see any harm in that. 
He says, well, the thing is, you can't let them know who we are. Because if they knew that we weren't from here, then they wouldn't act the same way. They, They can't really know, maybe after the fact, but I don't know. He says, I think you should be careful about letting them know who we are. But it would just help us. And I said, okay, you sure. I see the reasoning there. I don't have a problem with that. So you're just going to talk to him about stuff. He says, in, in return, I'll, I'll do something for you. I said, oh, like what? He says, well, we know things, and we could tell you things. I said, what kind of things? He says, well, you know, things that are in the future. I said, well, that'd be nice, like lottery numbers. He said, no, nothing yeah. like that. Oh, darn. Just, you know, events. You know, events. Events ahead. Things that might be useful for you to know. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, sure. Okay, that sounds fine. So, you know, it was like this agreement. He says, Okay. You need to get back to your people, and I need to get back, you know, uh, to mine. So we'll meet up again, though. Um, we'll meet up again. So during this trip, he says, I don't know if it'll be during this trip, but you'll be coming back down here again. I said, Yeah, I've got another trip planned. I told him when, and you know, as far as I was concerned, I was going down there two or three times a year. <clears throat> he says, well, when you get into Peru, um, wait till you get to Cusco, and then send me a message. He says, you could do it in, in um, you do it in the Amazon as well, uh, but we can plan, you know, when we get a message from you. I said, how do I send you a message? And he just kind of gave a little laugh, and he says, it's the same way you sent a message to get me here in the first place. And he tapped his head. I said, oh, telepathy. He says, yeah, that works every time. I said, all right, then I'll let you know when I'm back down here. I said, so um, you're going to leave? He says, yeah. Well, you want to see how this works? I said, well, tell me how. How does it work? He says, well, I put my finger on it. And then it generates this field, and then I just go. I said, well, can I try it? And he said, no. And he laughed. He said, all right, show me how it works. He says, all right, I'll see you later, Jer. Took his finger, just put it on the little blue glow, circular blue glow, and it sounded like cellophane off the cigarette pack again, Ah, okay. And in an instant, it started and it ended, and there is this blue sphere, probably, I don't know, it was like a big jawbreaker, best I could tell. It wasn't with really finely detailed edges. Mm -hmm. It was a bit amorphous, but it was a blue sphere. And it just hung there in the air. And I swear I could hear him laughing in my head. And then it just casually floated off, um, heading towards the east. 
and went out over the Temple of Pachamama and just flew on towards the mountain in the distance. Uh, I, I basically couldn't see where it went because past a point, there were, well, you know, Machu Picchu has these clouds hanging in the air. And mm-hmm. It wasn't so bright right. you could see it at a distance anyway. It was mm-hmm. just gone. And so I'm just like, oh, I need another cigarette. That was yeah, <laughs> really. Now, at that point, were you totally convinced, yes, he was from the Pleiades? Oh, yeah. At that point, no doubt about it. This guy is definitely, <laughs> he's not of this world. Right, right. Oh, my goodness. And I was thinking so, about his, his request. It yeah. It seemed like a good idea. So your your group did get to mingle with these people, but they didn't know where they were from. So they didn't know they right. were Pleiadians. But, again, they didn't yeah. sound offensive or harmful in any way. They just were being sociologists trying to figure out people here on this planet. Yeah, anthropologists, sociologists. The, the folks so on that particular... I have to say that's just something so strange about that, because if you, I mean, I I know that we were created by ETs. There's no doubt about that. I mean, so much evidence points to it. Yet here they are studying us and these, you know, aspects of our culture like Venice Beach. It just seems I don't I don't know there's no I don't have the right word to describe how it makes me feel. It's a little strange. I don't doubt for a second that Pleiadians are here and he's one of them. I don't doubt that at all. But I just wonder what the hell are you doing? You know, you're so advanced, you have technology that's so far beyond us. Why bother with coming here? <laughs> well, I don't know. I've I've thought about it, too. And the only thing I can come up with, you can read about Machu Picchu or Venice Beach in a book. You can see videos about it. But until you've actually gone there, Mm -hmm. that experience is much more valuable having had it in person. You can glean so much more information that way. That's about the only rationale I could come up with. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see what you're talking about there. But that must have kind of blown your mind a little bit, seeing this blue orb that he just traveled away in. <laughs> but that must I have been how he got to the top orbs. of that needle. Yeah, I'd seen those blue orbs on several occasions and didn't know what I was looking at. Ah, Okay. Yeah. Now, are you still in it, touch with Rich and his group, or not? No. No. No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't had any contact with them in quite a few years. But there's more to this story. Go ahead. So everyone's finished at the Intiwatana. We're going to walk through Machu Picchu. And the idea is that, because I've already shown Bob where this cave is, so he's going to just just not be there. And when the guard asks, where's Bob, 
I'm just going to say he decided to walk back to Caliente on his own because there's no guard at the front gate. The guard is inside the Hotel Machu Picchu, and we have to knock on the door and tell him that we're done, and he'll come out and lock the place up. Mm-hmm. So Bob scurries off over the edge, goes down to the cave. That's the end of it. And we get on the bus, tell the guard, oh, Bob walked on down. And we take the bus down. And that concludes the night. The next morning, we're going to get up and get back up to Machu Picchu early because that afternoon we're catching the train back to Cusco. So we're up there at 6 o'clock in the morning. As we're going across the bridge, across the Urubamba River, where I initially saw Rich, coming out of the trees on the road is Bob. And he just looks weird. Oh, no. (laughs) So I tell uh, the driver, I said, stop here a minute. That's one of our people. Stops. I get out. Bob's sister gets out. Bob will not talk to me. He won't talk to his sister. I'm going back to the room. And he takes off walking. And she says, what happens? I can't talk about it. I won't talk about it. And he just keeps on going. I don't know what's happened. We go up to Machu Picchu. We come back down. It's time to do that bit where we get to the train station. We get to the train station. Bob is already there with all his luggage. Standing by himself, I go up, Bob, are you okay? And he just says, I can't talk right now. Hmm. I was like, okay. And his sister is just sort of needling him. What's going on with you? What happened up there? And he goes, I can't talk about it. Just don't talk to me. Just leave me alone. We get back to and Cusco. this is a psychiatrist. I just want to remind everybody, right? This guy is yeah. a psychiatrist. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Mr. Happy, all excited guy, going to go up to Winnipeg, <laughs> going to do this. He did too. He went up there. Um, all this stuff he was going to do with the giant binoculars, Mr. Mr. Happy Go Lucky. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. So big check. We get back to Cusco. Now we have a free day in Cusco just to go shopping and look around. It's a lot of fun. Bob stays in his room. Hmm. We get back on the plane the next day, flying back to Lima, go to our hotel room. Bob won't talk to anybody. He stays in his room. It would be a couple of months before I heard from his sister, who was... You know, a friend also of yeah. of mine. And she, she called me up. She says, Jerry, you won't believe what Bob told me. I said, what happened up there? Did I do something wrong? He says, no, it has nothing to do with you. You did everything right. He just wasn't prepared for what happened. 
Ooh. So what happened? Well, Bob was in that cave you told him to go to. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, just a couple hours after we left Machu Picchu, about 2 o'clock in the morning, this green spear, just huge, came down out of the sky, came up the valley, went right in front of where Bob was. They came and got him and took him inside. And he won't tell me what they had to say or what they did. But he said that he didn't really believe extraterrestrials were real. He says, they're very real, and I don't want to talk about it. He says, it scared the living hell out of him. He sure did. He said it lit up the whole area green. Well, at night, and this there's like been... this layer of clouds. Right. But this wouldn't have been rich because he said he didn't want them to know who they were. So who was this that came and got him? I have no idea. Hmm. And it, it might have been the people associated with Rich. Bob might have sent out a message, you know, thinking yeah, it would just be nothing. <laughs> no idea. Oh, I really moly. don't know. I don't know so who it was never, or what happened. So you never heard from Bob after that? that was Ever it? again. Wow. Uh, nope, and I've tried reaching out to him, and he won't talk to me. Oh, and his man. sister what told us that you could talk to Jerry. Jerry thinks you've done something, you know, he's done something to really upset you. And he says, just tell Jerry he didn't do anything wrong. He did everything I asked him to do. I just didn't expect this. Mm. So... Oh, it was one of those deals that scared the living hell out of him. Yeah, I guess so. The next but, time we went know. down the next time we went down to Peru, we started off in the jungle. Mhm. And <laughs> we we're in Iquitos. And we we're getting ready to leave Iquitos, get on our flight. This is mid-afternoon. We're flying on Fawcett, as I recall. That's an airline's there. And uh, the power goes out. The whole, the whole inside the terminal, boom, no power. Mm. And people are, like, looking around, and it's just raining like you wouldn't believe so oh maybe is because of that. That's what people are thinking. Lightning, flashing. All of a sudden, <clears throat> these two people come, <clears throat> excuse me, carrying this guy in, and he's got a bad burn on his, on his uh, right leg where his motorcycle fell over, and the pipe burned his leg really bad. Hmm. And they lay him in the, on the floor right in front of our group. Well, immediately, of course, I'm there. I don't know what to think. But immediately, one of the gals is a nurse. The other gal is a doctor. And they're giving orders to the other people in the group, do this, do that, get your blanket things out. you know. And people are making a makeshift bed for him. The, and all these 
you know, people in the airport were just ignoring this kid. Was, this kid was hurt, except for our group. And they're cutting his pant legs up. They're taking a look at the wound. They're dressing the wound. They're taking care of him, they're doing everything they can. The whole group then gets together and, and does like a little healing thing to try and help him. And then, you know, these two people pick him up walk out of there with him. They get on one of these three-wheeled um, motor cars. It's like a motorcycle mm-hmm. with three wheels. You ride in the back. It's open air. They take off. As soon as they take off, boom, the lights come back on. The rain stops. The sun comes out. And our flight is now about to arrive. So we leave. It's like, wow, that was just a whirlwind of things. Yeah, sure was. Get into the Machu Picchu area again. I'd already let Rich know. And I actually tried in the jungle. I tried again at Cusco. And um, didn't really get an answer back, but there's Rich. And there's these people that at that point from Iquitos made friends with all the people in our group. Mm-hmm. And this person had, uh, or this couple had this other couple that were talking to them. This other couple had that couple. Because most people travel in pairs. And so they, they start making fast and famous friends. And they don't show up in Lima, but they do show up in Cusco just briefly, and the next thing you know, they're having dinner with them, and then we're in Machu Picchu, and by golly, look at that, they're they're in Machu Picchu as well. How about that? And so these people have been traveling with us all the way from the jungle. And then I meet up with Rich, and he and I are sitting at Shea McGee, place for pizza with a crazy parrot. I'm having a Coke. He's having a sparkling water having some pizza, and I said, are, are your people mingling with my group? He says, oh, yeah, they've been with you since Iquitos. I said, you know, the damnedest thing happened in Iquitos. There was this kid, they, these this, these two people brought this this kid in. I mean, he's not really a kid, but, you know, he was like a 20-something that had uh, a bad burn on his leg from a motorcycle and he just sort of looked up at me and grinned and he said yeah that was us I said what do you mean yeah what does that mean he says well we um, you know the power went off and we brought him in he says you notice we went right to your group right I said well, yeah, I thought that was a little odd, but I said, well, and what did your people do? I said, they sprung into action. They did everything they could to help him. He says, exactly. Now we know the kind of people that we're dealing with. Hmm. Sounds like a little test. Yeah. They did those little tests. They tested me like that. Oh, boy. They tested me like that once. I didn't know I was being tested. 
all I knew was I was trying to help somebody. There's this gal. Why would they do that? I mean, to me, you know, I don't know if I just have a thing about Pleiadians, but I, I just find that, again, kind of offensive. I mean, if they they have the abilities, I do believe they have. Um, they should know these things, and and to to put you or your group in positions like that, and to me, I question that. I really heavily question that as to why are you doing that? Really, what's the real reason behind it? I mean, do you ever feel like that with them? Like, what are you really up to, you Pleiadian guys well, and girls? My basic inclination was what better way to find out who you're dealing with and to present someone being hurt. How how do you respond yeah, to that? Crisis, what kind of person the trauma. Are you? Mm-hmm. you know, your true nature shows in a situation like that. Right, right. It does, but it's not like they were going to turn around and, and give you the the keys to the kingdom once they found out you guys were all good people. It's like again no, this sociological all. experience that or experiment, I should say. Um, I guess that's what bothers me about it. And I'm not saying they're bad people or anything. They're bad Pleiadians, I should say. But it makes me wonder. What in the world they're really up to? And I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it does test someone's character when they're facing a crisis. And what will they do to help that person? And, of course, you and Kathy both draw magnificent people to you. I mean, people of good character who uh, who go on those trips with you. So, yeah, of course they're going to respond that way. Why wouldn't they know that? That's my question. Well, because... <clears throat> there's 20 people. Not everybody yeah. is going to be, you know, the kind of person that would respond to someone being hurt. They could just as easily have been, well, take them to the hospital. There's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But instead, yeah. in, instead they, tried you know, to help. they had compassion. Exactly, and I, I think exactly. That, you know, our ability to show compassion and concern isolates us, or not isolates, it, it separates us from others who lack that compassion or concern. And right. the people they, I, I presume, the people that they wanted to have uh, conversations with, they really wouldn't be interested in talking to someone who doesn't have any compassion or concern for their fellow person. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I rationalize why they did it the way they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, in one sense, yeah, I, mean, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I love that you're in contact with them. And obviously, you're a very special person. And you are someone that they would be interested in communicating, should be interested in communicating with. Because you are who you are, and you have a lot of integrity, you've got a big heart, you have telepathic abilities not only with humans but with animals, ability to heal, you want to help people and animals, and so, yeah, why wouldn't they want to talk to somebody as wonderful as you? So, 
I love the fact that you put out a call and they eventually got off their rear ends and responded, <laughs> which was yeah. good. That was nice, very nice. So they waited a while. I guess they had um, to vet me. Yeah. Again, that whole process. It, it just, it's like, look. When we've heard so many stories of different races of aliens coming here, abducting people, doing experiments on them, and it can be very offensive. It's like, okay, you know, nobody asked for that. But at the same time, you hear about somebody like Carl Higdon, who encounters this very strange-looking alien when he's elk hunting, and puts his rifle down. And I do believe that that's what that alien responded to, to become friendly with Carl, instead of treating Carl like just another experiment, they became friends, and they had communication with each other to the end of Carl's life. So, it's, mm-hmm. are we making friends with these people, or are we just an experiment to them? I guess that's my question. Um, we're not an experiment to them. I don't see it that way. The way it was explained to me is that the people in this world became isolated from the rest, uh, not not all of, but uh, a great number of the races that are out there of humans. You know, humans are not uh, unique. Humans are pretty much a standard, and humans exist on many different worlds. Uh, but there was a point in time where that that um, being in touch with each other was lost, mm-hmm. and we forgot who we are, who we were, uh, the details of our origins, and all of that. It was lost, and we just became people that here on this earth, and this is where we started. This is where we end, and. That's the way it is, and there isn't anything else out there, because that information was either forgotten or kept from us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, according, according to Rich, there are quite a number of planets where there are humans. Some of them are not as developed as this world, and others, like themselves, are exceedingly um uh, advanced compared to what we know and what we have. And the hope is that there will come a point in time where we can realize each other and though we have our differences, we have the ability to look at each other and go, we're not really that different. We just grew up in a different place. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's an issue with the dogma that exists, not on just this world, but it's on other worlds as well. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the, the limited thinking, as he put it, that um, keeps us isolated from everyone else out there. Yeah, I think it, this is why I think it's wonderful, beyond wonderful, that you have the ability to contact them, and they ultimately did respond in this situation. And I see other people working with Dr. Greer to do something similar, you know, to try to extend a hand of friendship. And I like all of that 
because the government's lying to us, as you know. They lie like crazy, and they're going to act like they're going to tell us something we don't already know, but they never do. And I know it drives them insane that people like you and others like Dr. Greer are doing these groups that are in direct contact with ETs, and they don't, they're not going to the government saying, tell us what's going on anymore, because they know that's useless. They'll never get anything there. But your personal experience that you've shared tonight is it's just so interesting. It's so heartwarming. It's, I mean, it's, again, you have a friend, or you, you, have, you were acting friendly with each other, you and Rich. It's lovely. It's heartwarming. It's it's nice. So that's what I like to see because it, it brings it more out of the realm of we're experimenting on ETs and ETs are experimenting on us and more to the place of that hand reaching out in friendship. And, and the fact that they respond to you is remarkable because I'm sure there's a lot of people yeah. out there, Jerry, that are asking for contact and they're not getting it. <laughs> right? Well, that's true. I've had a number of people, you know, even offer to pay me if you just help me get in contact. Oddly enough about Stephen Greer, I talked to Rich about him. Mm -hmm. And he just just kind of chuckled and he said, well, tell Dr. Greer that if he wants to have that conversation – that I'll have that conversation with him. Now, bear in mind, at the point that I did this, I'd already been in touch with Rich a number of years. I'd seen a UFO land. I saw him get out of it. I met others of his party. So I had a pretty good history with them. Right. And he said, you know, tell Dr. Greer that if he wants to have that conversation... I'll have that conversation with him. And I said, really? Okay, I'll do that. And he just sort of smiled and said, he won't take you up on it. <gasps> really? I said, why not? He says, yeah. You'll find out. Oh. Just invite him. <laughs> okay. So, as it turned out, um, I came in contact with him at an event in Phoenix. Ah, okay. And so I, he was checking into his hotel. I was there, and I introduced myself, and he was just sort of, you know, blank look on his face. And I said, I understand you want to make contact with an extraterrestrial. He says, yeah, that's right. I said, well, a friend of mine is, and he said he'd be happy to meet with you. And he he just got this pissy look in his face, and he said, just get away from me. (gasps) I I wonder what happened there. Does he just not believe you, or is he... Does he, what about that? What's going on there? Well, he, he didn't know me from anybody. 
Oh, okay. I said, are you sure? And he just turned his back to me and, and went back and, uh, I don't know, I guess finished checking in. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> and he didn't, well, he and missed he the opportunity the desk, of a lifetime. And when he left the check-in desk, he just walked right past me, didn't even glance my direction. Oh so my I gosh. figured he's he's just a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take oh, that much bad. to be nice. No, it doesn't at all, and not at all. Especially, you know, here's somebody who says that this is what I want, and you would think he would be kind to someone who's reaching out that way. But that's a shame. But, again, my point is that I think we're we're all much better off making direct contact than um, than trying to, to just read an article or believe who the government's trying to convince us of. I mean, direct contact, like you mentioned, you know, immersing yourself or meeting someone like you did with Rich over so many years. You've learned so much, and you have a friend. Even though you haven't talked to him in a while, you probably could if you wanted to. Oh, gosh, we're running out of time. This is terrible. We have like another 40 seconds left. Go ahead. Kathy met Rich uh, a few years after all that. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, she didn't really meet him. She saw him, and he waved, and then he just vanished. Just, oh, you know, went, just gone. Oh, boy. Thanks for having me on, Patricia. It's been a lot well, of fun. I hope your audience Oh, my gosh. Now, and I feel like we've only scratched the surface here with what you learned through your friendship with this guy, with this Pleiadian. I don't know. What do we call him? Well, he's just a guy. Just a guy. <laughs> yeah, Pleiadian dude. A Pleiadian dude. I like he, that one. That's great. Yeah. But really, it's, he's it's remarkable. He's laughing Yeah, I <laughs> said. It's remarkable what you've done, Jerry. And, yeah, I love listening to you tell this story. And all your stories are just really, really remarkable as you are. So thanks again for coming on the show. We're going to have to continue this conversation, though. This isn't, isn't over. Oh, thank you so yeah, much. My love to things. you and Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> Got to go through it all. But look, we'll be back next week, everybody, with another great show. We're supposed to do Chord Magic next week, so let's see what happens. So take care. We'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.